0: Thank you, Ari. That's fantastic. Thank you. Wow. So uh, we've been a, a part of Thrive now for a couple of years, and we invest in them. You give to them, and then through your giving, we're able to give to them. Thank you so much. Uh, we will continue to give, and if you want to give to Thrive this month, if you'll if you'll give it to the Ten Eight Fund, if you'll continue to give to that, uh, we will give that to Thrive at the end of the month. As we support them monthly, we'll continue to support them monthly, and thank you for your. Faithful given they do a great ministry in helping women who are trying to decide what to do with a pregnancy that they hadn't planned and so they help women decide to keep their babies and not everyone does but they they love on everyone who comes in there and they help them and that's that's their job and and they share christ with them they've had 147 last year 145 last year i'm great with numbers you can see uh, 145 last year that gave their lives to Christ. So that's, that's fantastic, isn't it? How many babies were saved? 195 babies were saved. Oh, Awesome. That's tremendous. Great work. So we're so excited to be a part of that. Thank you for your faithfulness to that. And, and with the, the recent law changes, it hasn't changed the need for us to be involved. It's probably made it greater. So, we're talking today about change isn't change until it's change. So, you know, we can talk about change. We all want change. Uh, how do we see change happen? Today, we're going to talk about the joy of Jesus and how we can have the, the joy of the Lord in our lives. John chapter 16, verse 19 through 24. Jesus knew that they wished to question him, and he asked, said to them, Are you deliberating together about this, that I said a little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come, and when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. In that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, You've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, Set so that your joy will be made full. So we're looking at how God transforms us. We're not, not looking at moral reformation. Moral reformation is not the same as transformation. In moral reformation, you make external changes, but they aren't the deep spiritual changes. They aren't the habits of the heart. They're like restraints, From above, more reformation is a restraining of the heart. It's a controlling of the heart. It's not really changing the heart. It's like me and sugar. I am morally restraining myself from eating sugar. But my heart hasn't changed. (laughs) I still want it. Anybody here that's diabetic, you still want sugar, Right? That's, that's an external change. Now, I'm trying to do what is right for, because I, you know, I want to be healthy. But that's not really a changed heart. What we're looking for in our lives is we want to see in all areas, not just in those superficial areas, we want to see changes. Moral reformation comes from looking at the law and conforming to the law. You looked at the law not as life because we can look at the law and it can be positive for us. We can say we're gonna, you know, thou shalt not lie. Okay, let's be people of the truth. That's not a negative thing. That's a positive thing. I want to be a person that's truthful. We can look at the law as life. We can look at it as a lamp to our feet and a light to a path, or we can see it as a box that's going to restrain us. We're, we've we've erected this control mechanism around us, and it doesn't work. It doesn't change us. Spiritual transformation comes from looking. We're learning to Jesus Christ how do we change? We change from looking to Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So the Spirit of the Lord is transforming us into the image of Christ as we look at the beauty of Christ, as we look to Christ. So There is a joy that we have that Jesus gives. So in this last discourse, Jesus tells us the importance of joy. So he's three things I want to talk to you about. The promise of joy, the structure of joy, and the growth of joy. Jesus says, first of all, he says this joy is coming and that it's inevitable. So he's saying to his followers, you're going to get joy. They're like, what? How do you know that? Well, he knows that they're going to get joy. He knew that they wished to question him. What is this? You're going away. You're you're going to go away for a little while, then you're going to come back. Are you deliberating, deliberating together about this? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. So he's talking about this gap of time between his death and his resurrection. So he dies, and they're all weeping, right? I mean, they he He dies, and they're all sad. they're like, what it, to them it's the end. Even though he had told them about the resurrection, no one was more surprised on on the Sunday when the tomb was empty than they were because they they were not expecting it at all, and he says to them, "Your grief is going to turn to joy, not just by the resurrection, but by what it means because we sang about this this morning. Because the resurrection changes everything. They had nailed him to a cross. And they would seen him die. They had great sorrow. But then on the third day, it's like he's alive. He's alive. He, which, which proves not only he's the Messiah, but it proves that he's more than the Messiah. That, that he's also God. So in that, their grief is turned to rejoicing. They're rejoicing that they have him with them. It's interesting that by 120 A.D, they had no real idea where the tomb of Jesus was. And you would think, how could they have lost it? I mean, they were right there. They'd, they'd all seen it happen, and it'd been passed down. They were all right there. How could they, only in 120 years could they have lost location? Of the tomb where jesus was buried because it wasn't important to them it wasn't important to them because in their minds hey he only borrowed it for three days and it was much better to have jesus than a tomb you see as long as you have your child with you your their room is probably a disappointment it's strewn with dirty clothes uh it's way below the standard of clean that you have for the rest of the house. But if your child goes away, it can almost become a shrine to them being gone. Parents who lose a child often, or even another family, they can't bear to move things out of the room. We we stayed at some friend's house whose daughter had gone off to college and then had gone to work in another city. And this is 10 years after this. She' graduated from high school. Her room was like unchanged. He it was, it was, it was like ste- stepping back you know into a high school girl's room from 10 years before and, and, and I gave him a hard time about it, of course. Uh, but the tomb didn't matter. It didn't matter to the Christians because they had him. You see, anyone who's a Christian, we don't need to visit the tomb. We don't need a relic. We don't need a bone, piece of the cross. We don't need that. Why? Because we have Jesus. We have the reality. We don't need the image of it. We have relationship, and we have the risen Christ. We know who he is, and we know what he has done for us. It's not just joy. Eventually, when we get into heaven, you know, in the sweet by and by, we're going to have joy. That's great. I want to have joy in heaven. That seems inevitable, doesn't it? I mean, shouldn't you be joyful in heaven? But Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you joy now. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. It's a specific moment in time. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that the child has been born of the world. I've, I've watched a woman deliver a baby three times from. You know, pretty close proximity, not too close where I could be grasped a hold of. uh, You know, where she says, this is your fault. Uh, I don't think she ever said that, but she was thinking it, I know. Uh, One thing I know about childbirth and labor pains, what I've experienced, is when the hours come, there's no stopping them. You don't negotiate it. You don't say, honey, honey. Listen, this isn't a good week for me. Me and the guys are playing golf tomorrow, and I think this is going to mess up my plans. I don't think it's a good time. Now you have two urgent things, a birth and a funeral. (laughs) Jesus says this example of, of childbirth, it gives joy. He says it's coming. In other words, this baby, this joy is coming like a baby. It's going to be delivered. This joy is going to happen, and you can't stop it. This joy is going to happen to you when you realize what has happened. This joy is going to come when you realize I am the risen Lord, when you realize I am God, when you realize the Messiah has come to deliver you and set you free. He says it's coming, and you can't stop it. You're going to have it. You're not a Christian without this joy. It's the work of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not optional. When Jesus began his ministry, it's interesting that he began his ministry, his first miracle was turning water into wine. Now, often the first thing is a symbol of what's coming. He is the new wine. He is and so, it's amazing. Jesus made 150 gallons of the best wine anyone has, ever tasted, anyone has ever tasted. That's probably the only wine I could ever drink is the wine that Jesus made. Because the rest of it is blah. But can you imagine that? So, you know, Cana of Galilee was not a large place. And this is not a large wedding. And they've got 150 gallons of great wine to drink. This is going to be a joyful wedding. (laughs) Jesus ensured that this wedding was a joyful wedding. At the beginning of the church. How did the church begin? On the day of Pentecost. As they had received the, the Holy Spirit in the upper room in the church's birth. And they poured out into the streets. They end up at the temple. And... This is what the crowd says, and the others were mocking and saying, they are full of sweet wine. But Peter, taking his stand with eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only 10 o'clock in the morning. It's the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel, and it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour my Spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. He said, the beginning of the church was bathed in joy. So joyful that the crowds misunderstood it, but they liked it because 3,000 people that day said they wanted to follow Jesus. The joy of the Lord. First Thessalonians 1.5, it talks about the beginning of the Christian life. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in, with full conviction. This is, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. They had tribulation... But they had something that was overcoming the tribulation. They had joy in the midst of tribulation. We have the joy of the Holy Spirit. This is one of the characteristics of your new birth in Christ. If you've come to Christ, you should have the joy of the Lord. It's the fruit of the Spirit. You should have joy because we have Him. Are you a Christian? say, yeah. I believe in the incarnation. I believe that baby that was born was God. I believe that it was from God. I believe he died and rose again and that he ascended to the Father. Did you know that the devils believe that too? And James 2:19 says you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. What's the difference? A believer finds joy in it. The devil the devil devils the devil's shudder at it they shudder at thinking who god is we rejoice in it he's the resurrected lord he's our savior we rejoice in it we find joy in who he is matthew 13:44 the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field in which a man found and hid again and from joy over it he goes joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field I've often heard the story of a man who, who's, who finds this field and he buries the treasure and he goes to the landowner and says, I want to buy the, the land. I want to buy this land. He says, how much is it? He said, it's very expensive. It's very expensive. He said, can I afford it? Yes, but, but it's very expensive. He said, well, how much is it? He said, what have you got? He said, well, I've, you know, I, I've got, I've got, I've got 100,000 in, in gold. I've got 100,000 in gold. How, okay. He said, I'll, I'll take it. Fine, I'll take it. He says, Well, how are my wife and family gonna live? He said, You have a wife and family? They're mine too. Well, what what am I what am I what am I gonna do? I don't understand. You want my wife and my family? Like, what, what am I gonna do with all my stuff with my motorhome and my oh, I said, Oh, you have a motorhome? That's mine too. He goes down the list and finally what he says, he's given everything. And at the end, The the owner of the land, the owner of the pearl of great price, the owner of the kingdom says, listen, I want you to remember, I don't want any of that, but I, I want you to remember that it is mine. And I can ask you for it at any time. See, I think sometimes we forget that everything we have belongs to God. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid again, and from joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Romans fourteen seven. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. The structure of this joy, it's different. The structure of this joy is that it's based on the beauty that we find in Christ. It's structured in God. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that the child has been born into the world. If you have a child because you need the love of a child, you will emotionally distort both you and the child. You don't have children because you need them. You don't have children to give you love. That's dysfunctional. If you think a child will fill your emotional needs, you are wrong. They are emotional and financial vacuum cleaners. (laughs) But as a parent, where do you find joy? As a parent, you find joy in them becoming who God made them to be. We delight in their progress when when they're able to roll over when they're able to set up when they begin to talk. And then they start talking back. We're not so happy about that part. They walk. Just the progress. When we see them mature, we see we, we, we see them learn to relate. We see we see them becoming mature adults. See, the goal of parenting is to be able to kick your kids out of the house. Right? I mean, I don't mean that in a mean way. But the goal is we want them to become responsible and able to take care of themselves. That's the goal. That's we're, we're trying to. And we rejoice when they make progress. We rejoice when they move forward. That's that's where we get our joy. It says, but when the child is born, she remembers the pain no more. There's still pain. I've, now I've never given birth to a child. But what, what I understand, there's still the birth pains are gone, but there's still pain. There's there's stitches. If you had a C-section, they they made a cut. They they cut through muscle. They they hurt you. And then they sew that up. And then they give you a pillow and tell you, you know, don't laugh. <laughs> Uh, it hurts, but a woman looks at the child, and she forgets about the pain because she has centered her joy in the child, not in the pain. She looks beyond the pain to the joy of the child. She has located her Her locus. The location of her joy is in the child. The the structure of our Christian joy is that we have located our joy in Christ. The structure of the joy is that it's beyond the pain. Is there pain? Yes. Is there still pain? difficulty? Is there still sadness? Is there still sorrow? Is there still suffering? Is there still loss? Is there still grief? Yes, but they're not the source of our joy. The source of of our joy is that we have located our joy in Christ. Jonathan Edwards said the difference between a religious person and a Christian is not that one is obedient and the other is disobedient. Religious people and Christians both obey God. They're both committed to God. As a matter of fact, the religious person might do a better job. The difference is that the Christian is attracted to God and the religious person finds God useful, but the Christian finds God beautiful. The religious person will obey as long as God answers their prayers. But if God doesn't answer their prayers the way they expect them, then they give up on God and religion. In reality, their religion was just a way they thought they could get God to do their will. God is useful, but God is not beautiful. Worldly joy only exists in perfect conditions. Christian joy can coexist with both sorrow and suffering and loss and pain because we have relocated Our joy in God and circumstances cannot touch it. We have located our joy in the victory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate victory. So how does that joy grow? Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Who is this woman that Jesus is talking about? See, every time a woman gives birth, there is a risk of death. The only way a mother can give her baby the joy of life is that she has to take away her joy and suffer. And she doesn't just suffer the delivery. Pregnancy is difficult. Right? The whole process, nausea, vomiting, pain, strangers walking up and touching your belly. I don't like that either. (laughs) You know, thank you for noticing. So but the only way you can have a baby is you're going to she trades her pain for the joy of a baby. She knows there's going to be pain. And she takes her joy away. She gives up her joy to suffer in pain. There's an hour that that specific amount of time. Hebrews 2:19 says, "But we see him who was made for a little while Lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. Who suffered so that we could be born again? Jesus. Jesus the woman is Jesus. Jesus is the one who suffered so that we could have eternal life. Jesus is the one so that we could be born again. John 17, 1, Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour, the moment of delivery, the moment of my suffering, I'm going to exchange my suffering for their joy has come. The moment has come, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. So why did he do it? Why does the mother go through pain? Hebrews 12, 2 says this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God the word despising is to count as to no null as no effect what joy was it what, so what did he get out of it what, so he went through the pain of the cross and endured the cross and despised the shame for the joy set before him what is the joy set before God it's us Think about that. It's me. It's you. For the joy of us being birthed into the kingdom of God, for us to be his children, to us be sons of God, for us to be his. What did he get from it? He got us. Isaiah 53, 11, As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many and will bear their iniquities. For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. We rejoice in him, and he rejoices in us. Isn't that amazing? And don't you think, well, I don't think he rejoices over me? He does. He rejoices over you as a young man, rejoices over his bride. That's pretty intense. He rejoices over you. You think, well, I don't measure up. Absolutely you don't measure up. That's why he died. When none of us measured up. But he, he died so that he could make us, he could deliver us and make us sons and daughters that he could purify us and make us holy that he could receive us we could be his and he can rejoice over us the bible says he rejoices over us with singing you remember when you brought that baby home and you laid it in the crib and it's sleeping and you think i do not is it sleeping it's not moving you're afraid to go to sleep you're afraid something might happen you just stand there at the crib staring at the crib and as you stare at that crib you're just overcome with love and that's the way God sees you. That's the treasure. He is our treasure, and you are His treasure. He is our joy, and you are His joy. So we kind of come full circle. Second Corinthians three eighteen: For we all, with unveiled face, beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. The Lord transforms us when we see His glory. Has this happened to you? This happens to me quite a bit. We're driving down the road, you know, going 70 miles an hour. I'm driving. And we're listening to the radio. And there comes a song on the radio that I, I love. It's a Charity Gale song called Endless Praise. And the gist of the song is... I can't wait for eternity to be with God and sing, Said to be around the throne of all the saved and all the redeemed. As we're singing the song, we sing this song. And as we're singing the song under the Lord, we get another glimpse of his glory. And we sing again because we see something, we see the dimensions of God unfolding, the beauty, the glory, the majesty of God unfolding. So we, we sing again. Uh, we, we sing again and we sing again. And just as she's just singing the song, and I'm just just thinking about heaven. I'm just thinking about the glory of the Lord. I'm just thinking about the beauty of Christ. As I'm doing that, just as I'm doing that, driving 70 miles an hour down the road, just the Lord just, boom, just dumps his presence on me. And it's, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting, you know, I don't even know if Tina was even aware of it, but I'm, I'm sitting there and tears are running down my, I'm just driving down the road, tears are running down my face. And I'm just aware of the beauty and the glory and magic. I just get a glimpse. And it's like, it's just for a moment or you think, I don't know if I can take this. It's so glorious. It's so glorious. That changes us. That's transformative. See, the Lord wants us to look into the beauty of Christ and be transformed, to see him in all of his beauty, and all of his glory. And when we do that, there is joy. There's joy unspeakable and full of glory. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Thank you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Nehemiah, in the, great, in the midst of a great, great controversy and battle as he was trying to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem, said, The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord, we, when we recognize, Jesus said, When you recognize who I am through the resurrection, when I mean, you see what I have done and who I am, you will have joy. At your salvation, you had joy. At the birth of the church, there was joy. At the first miracle, there was joy. God wants you to have joy. Amen. And it doesn't come from looking at the law. It doesn't come from moral moral reformation. It comes from transformation from the inside out, from you changing us. Father, we need to be changed. And I just ask that this week, we would see you for who you are. Just as they're going about their work, going about their lives that they would see the height, the depth, the breadth, the length of the love of Christ. The dimensions of your majesty and glory would unfold us in us so to the degree that we would be transformed as the Holy Spirit tells us and shows us who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I love you. Thank you for coming. Have a great week.